0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Pomeran Podcast, brought to you by My Pomerania. Today, we're going to discuss using and accessing church books and civil registries to obtain vital information. Many questions have arisen as to the fate of specific parishes and registry offices. Rumors have led to the belief that most records have been destroyed in the region. But is that truly the case? Stay tuned to find out. Hi, I'm your host, Chris Stowuski, and you are listening to the Pomeran Podcast. Today, we're going to tackle the issue of vital records in Pomerania. Many researchers who realize their families originated in Pomerania instead of modern-day Germany are disheartened to learn about the devastating loss of records. To help answer questions that even experienced family historians might have, we're going to cover a very broad spectrum of topics in today's podcast. First, we'll talk about the history and origins of church books. I'll tell you about what information you might be able to find in these records, including briefly discussing the use of American church books to find information about relatives abroad. We'll cover civil registry in Pomerania, its history, and what information should be included in each register. Then, I'll answer the big questions about what happened to church books after the war and where records can be found today. Prior to the Second World War, churches throughout Pomerania maintained church books dating back to the 16th and 17th centuries. To understand how many records were lost in the war, one should look to Dr. Martin Verman's exposition, Die Kirchenbücher in Pommern, which was featured in the 42nd edition of the Baltische Studien in 1892. His article outlines quite a number of church books and when their births, marriages, death records began. and the earliest being the Ehebuch of Volgast Parish Church beginning in 1538. While the title would suggest it to be a marriage register, it appears that the book was actually a death register. Unfortunately, according to the Hinterpommern website, Dr. Wehrmann's article is filled with errors and inaccuracies. It should also be mentioned that Pomerania was predominantly a Lutheran region, however, Catholic church records do exist, but they're not as numerous. In 1616, the Peasants and Shepherds' Ordinance also helped further the keeping of records by the church. The resolution required all parish clergy to keep a separate book to record names and events which took place in their parish district. The earliest church books in Pomerania began around 1640. However, many church records were lost due to fire or military action. The Thirty Years' War devastated large portions of Pomerania, leading to the destruction of records before the mid-1600s. Fast forward to the Napoleonic Wars. Civil records became mandatory around this time and churches were required to make a second set of church books as insurance. The duplicate church books were stored in a separate location and later in larger repositories. The earliest of these copies started in 1794, though some churches might not have compiled them until between the years of about 1800 and 1820. Duplicate church books did not contain the most accurate information. As they are copies, they're known to have occasional errors, names can be mixed up, Dates can be wrong. After all, they are handwritten copies of the originals. When possible, use the original church books as your first source of information. In addition to being more accurate, the original records typically denote more information. A full entry could list parents, ages, occupations, birth and baptism dates, marriage dates and dates of the bands, death dates and burial dates, relatives left behind, and other information vital to genealogists to retell the story of their ancestors. In America, church records would detail the history of early German settlers. Researchers at the Brigham Young University estimate that 65-76% to 76% of historical local church records contain information related to the immigrant's exact place of birth. These Lutheran church records can be used to fill in the gaps where records abroad have been destroyed if a relative's immigration can be substantiated. Now, if you're lucky, entries might contain information about parents or other family members back in Pomerania. If you are relying solely on the indexes from Ancestry, FamilySearch, or other websites, consider reading the actual pages of the church books instead. If you're on Ancestry.com, it's really easy to do. You click on View Record, and up at the top there's a little navigation pane with numbers that tell you which page you're on. You can just cycle back and forth through those. A wealth of unindexed information can lead to more discoveries and help you uncover your roots. A great example of this is for the Zion Lutheran Church in Hudson, Iowa. Several immigrant families who settled in the area came from Potevilles and kreis Belgard. You might ask, why is this important? Well, in the case of Potovils, all records from its church and parent church in Rarfen were lost after the Russians began expelling ethnic Germans at the end of World War II. So, records from censuses, immigrations, and especially from early German-American churches can be of great use to fill in gaps for known information about villages within different parishes. But, like I mentioned further information outside of the usual scope of Ancestry.com might not be included in the indexes. To find this information, it requires a little bit of work on your part. I would highly recommend reading the individual pages and copy information from them directly when possible as this is going to help you as a researcher start to see patterns in families and family history. In addition, sometimes records are mistranscribed and it'll just verify for your part that yes, the dates are correct or the spellings of names were what they actually said they were. So what information is included in church books? Honestly, it depends on how good of a record keeper the pastor was at the time. Some records contain only a birth date or baptism date, and sometimes only including one or the other, but not both. In older records, birth months might be referred to in their Latinized version. For instance, Tenbris or Tenber, or said in German, "Zainbris" or Zeinbeer, do not refer to the month of October. These are based on the older date system in the Julian calendar where the calendar year actually began in March. So with the switch to the Gregorian calendar and the year starting in January, these numerical names for the months referred to the Latin prefix. Sept for 7, octo for 8, novem for 9 and decem or decem like the word decade for 10. Hence when reading month names and records recorded in Latin, it's crucial not to make the mistake of reading it in terms of the current calendar system, but to look back to what was being used at the time the record was recorded. Each record was also prepended with a position number to ensure that entries were not fraudulently added to the church books or removed at a later date. This layer of protection can help genealogists when tracking missing pages or pages that are out of order. Mostly and commonly, these numerical listings are utilized by family history researchers for quickly citing records. Depending on whether a family had a book in the church, a number might also be added for the family group in the Orts-Sippenbuch, uh, the OSB, or Ortsfamilienbuch, which is abbreviated OFB. Spellings of family names might also be altered depending on where the pastor came from. Pomerania was a predominantly plattdeutsch speaking region. It was sometimes difficult for the pastor to understand the spellings of names, notably if he came from a region that spoke high German. Names of Slavic or Vandish origin could be especially difficult for him to transcribe. This can lead to a variety of spellings for the same family name, within the same church book, and sometimes even within the same record. Only further creating more of a problem for genealogists is that the average person was not literate. They could not read or write, and this extends as far as not even knowing how to spell or sign their own names. Some would sign with an X to denote their mark. With illiteracy being this prevalent, it's not a wonder that the spelling, or even the simplest names, would change over the course of history. Birth records would list parents and their professions, the given names of the child, godparents known in the German language as Taufpate, And the birth date, baptism date, the village the parents were from, and additionally other information could be included in the margins such as if the child was legitimate or of illegitimate standing. Records might denote that the child was adopted or claimed by the father, taking on his name. However in my research, I've not seen many instances of this. Rather, I've noticed that the mother's maiden name follows these illegitimate children throughout their lives. And sometimes overlooked, these types of records and church books can also help you record the parish church and the faith of the parents. It should be noted, however, that sometimes Lutherans or Catholic churches were the place of registry for both faiths if another church was not nearby. Marriage records could indicate a plethora of information. Names of the bride and groom are always listed. In older books, I've seen marriages as a list with no other information. However, marriage books will typically also list more information, including the day of the marriage or consummation. Uh, the groom's father profession might be listed, while well, more commonly the bride's father was named as giving consent to the marriage. You know Why this is the case, why the bride's father and not the groom's father was listed, why that's the case, I'm not sure. One would assume that the groom's father also giving permission would be named, but that's not always the case. The bride and groom's ages are given, though they're not always accurate. I would also believe it to be a rare occurrence if the birth dates of the couple are listed. Professions of any person named in the entry are common. Uh, With surviving copies of books, dates of marriage bans, that is, the proclamation of the couple's intention to marry, might be listed, but are by no means included in every duplicate church book. So, one other grouping of facts that could be referenced is whether the person had been previously married, widowed, or separated, and if any children were being brought into the marriage. Now, death records in the church don't hold as detailed information as they do in civil registry books. For example, while parents might be listed in death records, the vast majority of death entries in Pomerania that I've seen do not list these vital facts in church books. Additionally, places of birth are rarely mentioned, so it can be hard to establish where a person was originally from. Now, this might be because only the duplicates are surviving for a vast number of regions, however, in my experience, I haven't seen anything different to that. Even the age can be notoriously wrong depending on how much information was known by the informant. I've heard a number of people say that relatives back in the 1700s knew their ancestors, but the more I personally dig into these kinds of questions, the less I believe death records to be as accurate as people hold true the date of death and burial should be listed. Additionally, the cause of death might be mentioned along with the names of those deceased or left behind. This would be written after the word Erben, which means inheritance in German. More information could be given for the children, their professions or locations, and for females if their names change because of marriage. Sometimes, confirmation registers will have survived. These can help predate births from before church books began. For example, A church book that starts in 1810 would only have births from that year forward. However, if confirmation records existed for those years, it can help you go back approximately 14 years. These records should contain the date of birth of the confirmand, place or current location, and the father's name. Now not all records were kept within the main church book. Jews tended to live in a larger city, so their vital records were typically maintained within the book for the synagogue. There's also a book for dissidents, and people who dissented to the church or those who were excommunicated would have their entries for civil registries contained within the dissidents book. There are a small number of these people registered to books such as these, and one example of this can be found within the Kuslin district. Church records would later be complemented by the Standesamt. This is the German name for civil registry. On October 1, 1874, Prussian held territories established civil registry for its inhabitants. Germany as a whole established civil registry on January 1, 1876. The Stanislav took over the role of recording births, marriages, and deaths. It's important to mention that these civil registry offices kept second sets of records for safekeeping. It's possible that church records after 1874 survived, however, it's exceptionally unlikely except in a very few specific cases. In my own research, I've noticed that church records from the surrounding areas of Stolp have more records post-dating the addition of the Standesamt. Church documents from the Kuzlin area suffered heavily losses and will typically not have many surviving records, even from duplicate church books. The outlier in this case seems to be Christ Neustadtin which has heavily preserved stocks for a number of its parishes. Going back to the importance of the Standesamt, Vital records were held by these civil registration offices. The Standesamt was not just a Pomeranian concept, it was an institution implemented by the German government throughout the entire nation. The type of information included in each register varied by year. In the first years of implementation, there seems to be no standard format that registry officials followed. Especially with death records, parents might not be listed. Information in the earlier years tends to be vague, offering few clues when it comes to an ambiguous identity. After all, how many Johannes, Carls, Friedrichs, and Wilhelms were there? But let's dig a little deeper to understand just what information you are likely to find in each set of books. Birth records typically listed both parents and the informant, unless the birth was illegitimate. In that case, the informant might be someone the mother lived with, or one of her parents. Information included in these situations really depends on how much the mother knew, or was willing to admit. Illegitimate children were not uncommon, however, these bastard children would not be eligible for protection underneath a guild. Furthermore, if the woman did not know the identity of the father, or if the father refused to acknowledge the paternity, only the mother's name would be listed on the document. Interestingly enough, illegitimate children seem to take on the mother's family name even after the father acknowledged the child as his own. In many birth documents like this, there are comments written in the margins stating that the father claimed the child. This admission would be documented before the Steine Unlike baptism records, godparents are not listed on the birth certificate, nor are there any references to baptism dates. However, in addition to the previously mentioned information, you can find the birthplace and time of birth. Like church records, the birth certificate will give the father's and sometimes the mother's profession. Parents' religions would also be mentioned whether Lutheran, typically referred to as Evangelish, Catholic, or in rare instances, Jewish. The information that was given changed after July 1938. In addition to everything previously mentioned, information might be recorded about any known marriages of the child or anything regarding the death. Later on, the birth date of the mother was recorded, as was the place and date of the parents' marriage. For records in Pomerania, these dates probably won't come to light until the year 2038, at the very earliest due to privacy laws restricting access in Poland, to 100 years from the time of birth. In parts of Pomerania that were incorporated into Germany after the war, records will not be released until 110 years after the person's date of birth. I have my own personal thoughts on these lousy laws in respect to how they hinder a family researcher's progress, but I'll keep those opinions to myself for another podcast. Marriage records, however, only have an 80 year limit on them, which allows more free access to researchers from pertinent time periods. Death records can be obtained 30 years after death. Anyways, We'll talk about that later, let's talk about marriage records. These records are possibly my favorite for the amount of information and the detail listed within them. Since the beginning of the Standesamt, marriage certificates would contain information on two pages. The first page mentioned the place and date of the marriage. Often the groom would marry in the bride's parish. Therefore if a suspected record can't be found, it would behoove one to look in the registry office for the bride. Marriages in Germany also work differently than in the United States. The date of marriage indicates the couple's intent to marry before the government institution. A private ceremony is typically held after the registration. The marriage must first be performed before the Steinesamt, which is the date located inside the register. Thus, despite the couple having their ceremony elsewhere, the civil ceremony is first recognized at the registry office. Full names should be found in these entries as well as the bride and groom's date of birth, the professions, or their social standings, and religion. The parents of both parties are listed, as is their current location, whether they're still living in the profession of the parents. Uh, I've found that the marriage and death records contain conflicting information about the parents. In these cases, I'd believe that the information provided on the marriage certificate is more accurate as the living party probably knew more about his parents than the informant did later on. On the second page of the marriage document, items number three and four were signed by two witnesses. These were usually people who were in close connection to the family. Witness professions, age, and where they lived were also documented. The very bottom would be signed with the Justice of the Peace at the Standesamt. Unfortunately for family researchers, information about the bride and groom's parents were never recorded from July 1920 until July of 1938. I'm unclear of why this is the case, but it seems to pose a problem to genealogists. More information is said to be included in another document called the Aufgebotsakte. Whether these survive for Pomerania, I've not seen any copies of them in my personal research, but they are likely to exist elsewhere in Germany, just not for Pomerania. From July 1938 onwards, information about the parents once again returned to the records, including specific dates of birth for parents, as well as the marrying couple. The couple's children would also be listed on this document. Now, one final one listed in the opt was death records. Deaths listed in the civil registers are a little more finicky for what information can be found on them. Particularly if little was known about the deceased, little would be recorded in the death certificate. As mentioned earlier, the accuracy of the information provided might not be trustworthy. From the time the Shtenassant began recording death entries through August of 1920, entries would include information about the informant, such as the place of residence and profession. The informant would also provide as much information as was known about the person, including the full name, if known, the last residence, the place, date, and time of death, profession, religion, age, birthplace, marital status, names of spouses, first and last names of the parents, including maiden names for all parties concerned, and residence or last place of residence before death of the parents and the father's profession. Sometimes age at the time of death is an approximation. Therefore even if a specific number of years, months, and days are listed, it's wise to make an annotation in your research before clarifying that the birth date was actually calculated from the death certificate. One should also look closely at the informant, as it is likely that the person giving the details about the deceased has a connection to the family. Following these clues backwards might lead you to make new discoveries about relationships in your extended family. Again, any death certificate after August 1920 loses much valuable information. Until August of 1938, death certificates do not include the names of partners for the widowed. Even more troubling, these certificates also do not give any information about the parents of the deceased. The only information you can rely on for certain is the date and place of death. Most of the important genealogical information returns yet again from August 1938 onwards. More information might be given about spouses than in older books. One caveat of these later death certificates is that they give the suspected cause of death. The birth status is also mentioned in these later records. As a special note, deaths from the time of the expulsion until the mid-1950s were recorded in areas that might not have been within their typical jurisdiction. These could include certificates for the death of a fallen soldier or for those who perished in the expulsion. So according to a translation from the Pommersher-Greif's help section on family history research in the Standesamt, these records would be kept in a completely separate book. In my own research, I have noticed that civil registry from the newly acquired territories that were once Pomerania records might persist from 1945 onwards. However, when ethnic Germans were forcibly removed, the old German ways were removed with them. In their place stood a new Polish culture in the former German land. This included civil registry offices, which would take on the Polish language for recording entries. Instead of being called the Sztanusapt, they're called Urzad Stanu Cywilnego Urzad Stanu. Urzad Stanu Cywilnego. Thank you Google. In the Polish language, it's abbreviated USC for short eines überspitzten jüdischen Intellektualismus ist nun zu Ende. Und der Durchbruch der deutschen Revolution hat auch dem deutschen Weg wieder die Gasse frei gemacht. Der kommende deutsche Mensch wird nicht nur ein Mensch des Buches, sondern auch ein Mensch des Charakters sein. Und dazu wollen wir euch erziehen. Jung schon den Mut zu haben, dem Leben in die erwarmungslosen Augen hineinzuschauen. Die Furcht to zu to. Again. That clip you just heard was of the infamous book burning outside the Berlin Opera House on May 10th, 1933. I've stood outside of Humboldt University's library in Berlin, in that same square that the book burning took place. When I was there, 81 years had passed since the day when Nazis gathered up Jewish books and torched hundreds of years of knowledge. This is a memorial that stands in its place, a glass window in the ground, in the same space where books were burned. In the room below the glass, empty shelves to signify the weight of the Nazis' actions. Some 40,000 people attended this rally where upwards of 25,000 volumes of un-German literature were cinched in a fiery blaze, ashes the beginning of smoke and ash becoming a signifier of destruction of anything against Nazi ideals for the German identity. According to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, among the works burned were the writings of the beloved 19th century German-Jewish poet Heinrich Hein, in his play from 1820 to 1821, the Almanzer, the famous admonition, Dort vom einen Bucher verbrennt, verbrennt man am Ende auch Menschen, where they burn books, they'll ultimately burn people. Paramount to the flight and expulsion in Pomerania and the destruction of records is this Nazi ideal. The Russians raped and pillaged their way through villages of women and children. During this time, younger, more able-bodied men were fighting in the war. This left older men and the elderly. It must certainly have been a frightening experience to survive the atrocities committed as the troops feasted on the spoils of war. Mayors were shot. Women and children were used by the soldiers as they pleased, drunk on vodka and filled with Stalin's propaganda against the Germans. Buildings burned, manors were raided and looted, fires roared, destroying churches and their records. When the Soviets marched through the villages, church books were thrown out into the streets, starting in the beginning of March 1945. Mostly, inhabitants did not try to pick them up. Citizens were being shot for minor reasons, and so people feared for their lives more than for the fate of their registry books that were being purged. This was the case in Mikro, a village in Stolp. Comparatively, books in the villages of Jasen were thrown out into the street and burned. This is the stark image that's painted, where Germans tried to erase Bolshevik ideals, the Slavic population and the Jews, just to name a few, the Russians and the Poles tried to systematically erase all traces of German culture after the war. This included hundreds of years of church books containing family histories, which of course was a pertinent idea of the Nazi's political movement. However, I would suspect that the reason the Soviets destroyed so many books had less to do with removing all sources of German genealogy in the region and had more to do with their hatred of the German people in general. According to my cousin, a survivor of the war whose family survived the expulsion, the Poles were instructed by the Russians to make away with the German way and start fresh. Some of the people in the Polish lands would actually be displaced Ukrainians who resettled there from where the Russians had marched through. To this end, and to erase the German memory from Pomerania, the Polish government set up a ministry for the recovered territories and a repatriation office. Duplicate church books were handed over to the responsible district courts. Some of their fates are unknown. The following is an excerpt from In Search of Your German Roots, a complete guide to tracing your ancestors in the Germanic areas of Europe. In the fall of 1944, when it became obvious that the area was in danger of invasion, the church authorities in various centers, Königsberg, Danzig, and Stettin, ordered the ministers of the evangelical churches to bring all the records for shipment to the west in the areas of Rhone near Frankfurt. The great majority of the ministers complied, and the books were stored in mine shafts. After the war, the Kirchenbüsche were damaged by thieves, arsonists, and many were destroyed. No list had been made of the books deposited, so it's not known which were stolen or destroyed and which were retained in the original churches. Königsberg, which had 19 parishes, and Stettin, which had 22, are virtually complete. Danzig has some surviving records as well, but the collection is nowhere near as complete. I suppose the reason for all of this is that when the church authorities were instructed to hand over their books, some of the pastors refused to comply out of fear that the records would be used to identify targeted non-Aryan groups. When the war was over, the Mormons instituted a search for church books and were even provided with help by the Soviet government to transfer these books by truck to Berlin. It was at this time that the LDS church were given permission to microfilm the books. In terms of civil registry that have survived, the numbers are not great, but more Standesant records survived the war than did church books. The books for former Pomeran continue to be maintained by local offices, many were destroyed or lost in Hinterpomern before 1945, though some can still be found in local registration offices in Poland today. Others were turned over to the district courts in German times, but were given back to local offices after the war. Books that are older than 100 years are supposed to be turned over to the Polish state archives. This can be a little problematic, though, as some volumes of books are considered an entire set and are not easily or readily accessible until 100 years after the last book was created. So where can church books and civil records be found today? I would point our listeners first to the Pumisher greifs website as they continually update a master list of resources for their researchers. They have books partitioned by church and by civil registry, by Christ, and which ones are online. However, just because they don't have a listing for the area you're researching doesn't mean that the resource doesn't exist. For example, Gemeindeblätter, or church newsletters, can be a secondary source of information where church records lapse. If you search WorldCat, you might be able to find a few surviving copies. The first place to look for records online outside of Ancestry, FamilySearch, and Archeon should be Matryki Genbaza. Many records from all over Poland are stored on this website. Shuka v. Arkivak and archive portal Europe can be helpful to search for records online. Some even may be posted to Shuka v. However, some of these records are also found online on the Kuzlin or Szczecin archives web pages. For Szczecin, full sets of church books can be manually searched through. Other archives that can be of help are in Greifswald, both the state archives and the church archives, that is, the Landeskirchliche Archive, not to mention the university library that can be of immense help. Some church books are stored in Leipzig at the Zentralstelle for genealogy. Many of these records can be found online in one location or another, at least for church books, with only a few exceptions in between. Up until we had the Arnhausen Parish photographed, no copies existed outside of the Stettin archives. Likewise, another case I'm aware of is for the church book of Grunewald in Neustettin. Civil records for the Stannessamp seem to be coming online more and more every day, unfortunately Underneath an agreement between the Pummershire Grife and the Coastal Archives, books will not be placed online until they're indexed. It begs the question of what happens to places where few people are searching? Will they ever come online? Are they just going to sit in a repository forever? What really happens with them? Bureaucracy always seems to hamper progress of family historians, and this situation proves to be just another instance. The same could be said of the many American churches that have not digitized their holdings, though there are some who have had their books uploaded to Ancestry.com. A great majority of Lutheran churches still have records today, but accessing them is something of a problem. In my experience, few churches that I've written have been of much help. This is not so much because of the lack of records or the competence, but simply because of the sheer number of churches in places my ancestors used to live. However, it might be worth your time to inquire in person if the church was local. Well, that about wraps it up for today's episode of the Pomeran Podcast. We covered the history of the church books and civil registry, where they can be found, and what happened to them at the end of the war. For good measure, we went through what information should be contained in each type of record and its relevance to your research. I hope you enjoyed our premiere episode, and be sure to stay tuned for future episodes of the Pomeran Podcast. Until next time, happy hunting!